gotta, I gotta read you. Sorry. Dude, you're just like wet into it. I'm like, oh, who started? Hey, what's going on, everyone? This is Nick. I'm Sean. Today we have the singer-songwriter Donovan Taylor. This is a new series from our company, Turnout Recordings, where we interview singer-songwriters and talk about process, inspiration, and all that stuff. A new EP called Falling and Being Found. Mm. And these two guys are going to play some instruments on it. These guys are good guys, though. And if you want us to play in your stuff, go to TearNotRecordings.com. The link will be in the description. But without further ado, we have Donovan here. Hey, my name is Donovan Taylor. I am a New York City-based artist, musician. I, uh, I write music. It's pretty fun. So I live in Washington Heights in Manhattan, and I'm excited to be here with you guys. Yeah, right cool. Um, so you are primarily a drummer. Or at least I met you as a drummer. Yes. So can you talk about sort of like how you got into music and how you went from... Well, I don't I actually don't know. Did you start playing drums first or did you start writing songs first? That's a great question. So drums is definitely like my primary instrument. My first instrument I ever learned was piano. Mm. But the first time I fell in love with music was definitely through drums and percussion. So... That's what I definitely started with when I was living in the Chicago area. But around that time, I like also started like writing songs. My first song I ever wrote was in eighth grade, mm. and it was like this really cool experience for me. But I think I got a little psyched out because everybody was like really good at singing, and everybody was like really good at the piano, and I was like, oh, crap. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not as good as these people, right? And then so drums was like something I was excelling at, so I think I just like really dove more into that, mm. and I did my undergrad in percussion performance and I actually did my masters in jazz studies on drums which is where I met you guys but like writing music has kind of always been something I wanted to do and um while I when I moved out here to New York City and stuff I think sorry this is a long answer but no, but um when I moved out here to New York City I was really sick at the time and kind of to cope with like the sickness I started writing music, and I don't know, it kind of like came out of nowhere, but it was really cathartic and really healing, and I was noticing, like, if I played on a gig where we, like, wrote, where we played my music, people would be like, oh, yeah, man, you're a pretty good drummer, but I loved your music, and I was like, oh, okay, cool, like, <laughs> I guess that's, like, a thing, and even when we were in this ensemble, Sean and I were in this ensemble with Dave Liebman, and, like, I remember, like, I had this, like, private thing with him once, like, a lesson or whatever, and he was like, you know, you should really f pursue composition more. And I was like, okay. And then I met um, Paul Chihara, who is my mentor. He's a veteran Hollywood composer. He's a, a really good friend and has been a huge help for me. But he kind of, like, I don't know, like, my identity from being, like, a drummer, like, blossomed. Not that there's anything wrong with being, like, a drummer, but, like, I feel like I definitely like evolved into more of who I really am as I started composing and right. writing songs. And I didn't want to be a singer <laughs> at all because like, I'm so intimidated by everybody else's like voices. But like as I wrote the lyrics and as I wrote the music, my wife and I were talking and I realized like it kind of had to be my voice. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of how I got to the point where I'm at now where I'm writing music where I sing, you know? And I get to play with cool people. and So that's kind of a long answer. But I feel like I am a drummer in my soul. But I feel like I've kind of like butterfly. Right. You know, like yeah. right. grown into something even more than just a drummer. Yeah. So. 
Sick. Yeah. So you're going through the whole like music curriculum, right? You know, did you ever formally take? Uh, I know you took lessons with Paul Chiara, right? Mm-hmm. Outside of that, did you ever take any formal composition lessons from undergrad or graduate program? Yeah, I, that's a great question. Like I said, I think like I got scared in like not that I got scared into like just being like a drummer or a percussionist, mm-hmm. but I really got pushed in that direction, and I I thought I wanted that. To a point where, like, I remember when I was, like, wanting to compose more, I, like, came to a professor who's a great guy, but he, like, definitely shut me down. Mm. <laughs> kind of being, like, yeah. it was, like, you're a percussionist, go oh. play percussion. Like, composers will compose, you go play percussion. And I was, like, ah, oh, dang it. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> I really wanted to. But in my undergrad, I had a few really amazing professors that, like, gave me liberty to mm. do that. And then... Honestly, what kind of helped me get into writing music was playing in, like, rock bands. Mm. And, like, I played mm. in a really fun rock band. They're still out there. Their name's Grove. Um, and it was just, like, fun to break the rules a little bit. Right. And we, like, didn't care. And I think that, like, helped me, too, to be like, oh, I don't have to, like, follow these rules necessarily. But by the time I was in my master's, I was definitely composing on the side a lot. And, like I said, I started taking with Paul Chihara and it kind of blossomed them from there. So I don't know if that really ex- answers your question. I guess, like, I guess school and, like, the formalities of, like, education, music education, in some ways hurt me, maybe a little bit as a composer, but it also, there were a lot of doors opened. Right. Because yeah, I feel like a lot of the musical thing is, like, just showing you different things that you would have never thought about before. Totally. Um, and meeting people. Yeah. absolutely but then at that point like yeah like you said like it kind of intimidated you and i've been there too you know it's like like you have professors who are kind of like stay in your lane or whatever <laughs> yeah. which is like kind of i feel like detrimental as a creative it, um, it can be for sure but like at the same time like my undergrad i did percussion performance and i remember i was so mad because all i cared about was playing drums like drum set that's all i cared about and they were like putting me in orchestras and, like, learning gamelan, or I don't know, like, all these things, and I was like, what the heck, I don't want to do this. But it's funny, because, like, now, as I compose and write music, like, all of the experience I draw on are from those groups. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> that I didn't want to do, yeah. but, like, right. now I'm, like, you know, I'm like, oh, I'm so glad I did that. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's going to make its way into your, like, psyche one way or another. No, like, totally. And any, any of that musical stuff, especially, like, when you're sort of coming up and like you're being introduced to music and it's like, okay, this is how music works. It's like all that sticks with yeah, you. It's I like feel. your it first does. experience. Yeah. yeah. It really does. But then you, have, you also have influences. Like I know you're really into Sufjan Stevens. Oh yeah. Who, sure. who are some of your big non uh, like classical or jazz influences? Like let's say non school influences. Yeah. I mean, what well, you said, like the biggest one, my it's wife like a... and like my close friends always make fun of me. They're like, it's not a conversation <laughs> with Donovan. If he doesn't talk about Sufjan Stevens at some point. <laughs> and like, it's almost to a fault, you know, but I love Sufjan. <laughs> but he's, he's a big influence on me for a lot of different reasons. And I think that's, like, kind of... Sorry, I feel like I'm going back to our per- previous point. No, like, it's all good. I loved the drums, but I think my heart always, like, resonated way more with, like, stuff like Sufjan Stevens. Right. And I think, like, in the back of my mind, I always wanted to be more like him than I ever wanted to be, like, Max Roach. Even though I have, like, nothing but, like, absolute adoration for Max Roach. I feel like my, like, my idols that I knew I wanted to be like were more of these, like, singer-songwriters. 
So, like, Sufjan Stevens is a huge example to me of, like, artistry. He keeps things fresh. Like, Sean and I talked about it once, how he'll put out, like, a folk album. And then, like, the next thing he does is, like, hardcore electronic right. music. <laughs> and then he'll do, like, something completely different from that. Yeah. And also, like, I mean, on a lot of levels, he's, like, religiously similar to me. But I like the way he he's not, like, trite or stereotypical by any means and like, how he goes about things. Right. Which for me is like really refreshing. Where it's like, oh, he's like Christian, but he's like cool. You know what I mean? It's like, it's, it's nice. So I think like Sufjan, I, I feel like for me, like other, and I feel like so many musicians say this, but Radiohead and like Tom York, I feel like I can, there was like before Radiohead and after Radiohead. I feel like that's how you could like define my musical journey. Right. Like I hit, I was first introduced to Radiohead by my brother. And to be honest, I didn't like it. I was like, I don't even know what this is. Like, I guess it's cool. I really, I liked the song Videotape and mm-hmm. Reckoner um, from In Rainbows. But everything else, like, I heard Kid A and I was like, what the heck is this? And then in college, though, particularly the album Kid A, when I first, like, heard everything in its right place, like that first oh, chord. Yeah. Yeah. Da, 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 I don't know, man. That was, like, a change in my life. Yeah. And I was just like, this is unreal. And so I think like a lot of the colors that I love in music have kind of blossomed from from Radiohead. Mm. So those are just two examples. I could list a lot, but I won't. Yeah, but that, those are the two big ones I feel. Yeah. yeah, they are for sure. You grew up in Chicago, right? Yeah, outside of Chicago. Outside yeah. of Chicago, and then you lived in. I know you lived in Utah for a while. Yes. Too. Um, studied music in Utah, right? Yeah. So like, how would you? I mean. Other than, like, the obvious of, like, Chicago and living in Utah, how would you say, like, studying music in those two places differed? That's a great question. For, between Chicago yeah, and Utah? Nah. I mean, Chicago, Utah, and New York are, like, completely different. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, like, about as, like, across the spectrum as you can get. But Chicago, it's hard to say because I was so young. You know, like, for example, like, jazz clubs in Chicago, the only one I could really go to was, like, the Chicago Jazz, the Jazz Showcase, you know? Because, like, I could go if I was under 21. But, like, growing up in Chicago... Oh, that's such a good question. Sean, you're piercing my soul. I'm trying to think here. Um, I would say Chicago is... It's very classic to me. I don't know if that makes sense, but, like, if I had to, like... Chicago has this, like, historic element to mm. it. Is mm. I think, the best. Like, even the architecture of Chicago, it's just got this, like... I, I don't want to say classy, but, like, a lot of my experiences with music were through, like, historical things. Like, I was part of the Jazz Institute of Chicago, and, like, I got to do this thing where we'd go to any show that was at the Symphony Center. We got in for free as kids mm. in high school. Wow. And so we got to go, and we got to meet the musicians backstage. So I got to meet, like... Christian McBride, you know, I got to meet Wynton Marsalis, Brian Blade, Daniela Perez, you know what I mean? And just, like, all these people. And then I also played in the Chicago Youth Symphony Orchestra, which was, like... So I think just, like, a lot of those experiences, like, really, like, showed me how high music could go, if that makes sense. Right, yeah. Utah was a different experience, because I I actually didn't want to go to Utah. I was... I was accepted to a school... I was accepted to Eastman School of Music, technically, well, I, I was <laughs> for drums, uh, for jazz, but I like went to BYU instead. It's a religious school, you know, and I went there and I didn't like really want to be there necessarily, which is, you know, shame on me because I ended up having like a good experience 
and I even like met my wife and stuff. But from a musical standpoint, I learned a lot out in Utah. Utah is definitely, it's LA kind of, it's Provo, which is where I went to school, is kind of like, I would almost say part of LA. And people mm. who are in the Provo music scene might hate me for saying that. But like, I feel like if you're in Provo and you do well, you either stay in Provo and do well, or a lot of them go to LA. Mm. Right. I feel like I was pretty unique, and then I was like, okay, going to New York City, you yeah. know? So if I would say like the idea you might have about LA music might be very similar to what you know about Provo music. Mm. Like some big names like Imagine Dragons, which is like, mm. you know, they came from Provo, which is like the big claim to fame. But like Provo, which I'm not that into that band, but like there's a really big like like underground music scene in, in right. Provo too. Like some like really like intense like electronic music, right. avant-garde music that's going on there. It's, there's a lot of, like, really cool artistic stuff happening in Provo. But it's just, like, it's definitely more under the radar because it's, like, a small town in right. Utah, and nobody mm -hmm. really expects that, yeah. necessarily. And then coming to New York City was a completely different experience that I right. don't even know how to put into words. Right. Because right. it's just crazy here. <laughs> so. Wow, that's cool. Yeah. The, the, the thing about Utah that's, like, super interesting, like, it's not, like, I've kind of brought up, like, I'm, I'm religious, and Utah is a very religious state. You know, like, at least its foundation was originally. Which is, like, that's cool, but there's also some downsides, I would say, in that there's, like, definitely, like, two sides to Utah. You have kind of, like, a religious side, but you kind of also have this, like, anti-establishment side, if that mm. makes sense, because, like, oh. there is such a prominent force, a.k.a., like, you know, religious, religious institutions. For example, my school that I went to is a religious institution, because there's like, it's so strong, there's like the other side to that, if that makes sense. Good. And it was actually hard for me to navigate as a musician, I would say, because I don't know. I don't like when things are so like, I don't know. Like polarized? Polarized, like, right? Uh, like yeah. I was just like, I just want to live my life and make music. Right. <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> but it's either like you have to be like, okay, are you like with us? Yeah, exactly. This sort of like religious establishment, or are you with them? Yeah, exactly. Sort of it was like very like you couldn't have feet in both camps mm -hmm. by any means. Like you could, that's but like you couldn't. And like maybe other people could, and maybe this is in my head. That's a big reason why like me and my wife moved to New York. It wasn't just that like you know there were more opportunities here, but it was like I wanted like freedom because mm -hmm. out here in New York City you can be anything. Like, right. nobody cares. Nobody yeah. has time to care yeah, right, yeah. what exactly. you think or how you feel, <laughs> you know? I can, like, do whatever I want out here. So it's kind of funny because I feel like New York City is so known for being compact and, like, claustrophobic. But, like, when I got here, I was like, I can breathe. I was like, oh, this yeah. is awesome, you know? Because I am religious, but I also love, like, really cool music that's breaking rules. I like both things, you right. know? So right. I don't want to feel like I have to, like, choose, like, where I stand in different areas. But there's a lot of people, I'm sure, in Utah that are doing it way better than I did. So I feel bad for... I'm not trying to say anything bad about Utah. <laughs> Just clarify. Disclaimer. Yeah. On the topic of, like, polarization and, like, and that kind of stuff, how do you feel about, like, the, the like, jazz classical dichotomy in music schools? The thing is, like, I hate boxes a little bit. I think, like, labels can be beneficial, but mm -hmm. they also can be really damaging. Right. And I honestly don't know if either of them are that helpful, <laughs> to be honest with you. Because like, I think it's so important to understand jazz, and I think it's so important to understand classical. 
for example, like, I genuinely believe that, like, some of my best musical experiences I've had were in orchestras. I love mm. playing Shostakovich. You know, like, right. Beethoven is, like, my, El- like, Elgar. I don't know. Whatever. Debussy. It's my thing. I love it. Puccini. And then, like, jazz, of course, as, like, that's why we met was through jazz school. Like, obviously, like, Coltrane and Miles Davis and all these different things are, like, huge in my development. And, like, I owe a lot of that to school. Right. But I think anytime you make things really academic, it can it can hurt things. But it can also benefit things. There's definitely, like, two sides to it. But I was actually just talking to Paul Chihara about this, my mentor. He, uh, we were having dinner the other day on the Upper West Side... And we were talking about that, how, like, it seems like music that's, like, that really, like, progresses and, like, becomes cutting edge isn't happening all the time in schools, if that makes sense. Because, like, the music that really, like, is killing it and, like, really, like, pushes things are breaking rules and that, like, happens, I don't know, not in schools necessarily. (laughs) Like, it can. I think it can for sure, but... And I think, like, jazz and classical, and who am I to say this? It's a humble opinion, but, like, I think jazz and classical could produce more, like... And they are, but, like, I think if there was more freedom to break rules, there would be more progression. But, like, the way I view jazz right now, to be honest with you, is, like, there seems to be, like, a big standstill in a lot of it. Just because there are so many rules. And, like, even though it's not supposed to be so rule-driven, it feels like... It's become so in part of every university and every high school. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like, it's become such a like, it's like a history class, which it is and it should be. And we need to respect its ancestors. But like, everybody's like too afraid to like write new history on it. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I'm not because I don't feel like I have the authority <laughs> to do it. So that's why I'm doing indie music. Cause like, I feel like at least in that arena, I can do something fun, you know? Right. But I, I love jazz and I love classical and I think I think there are some really cool musicians and artists that are doing groundbreaking, beautiful things, but I think like making it so academic has kind of hindered its progress maybe a little bit. Yeah. I feel like also like <clears throat> isn't like boxes are relatively important because you have to define a box in order to break a box. That's what I tell all my students. But in music school, like you don't have much of that breaking of a box. You know, it's like kind of defining the box and like stay here. Yeah, you know, and a lot. I feel like a lot of people do end up doing that. Yeah, well, like my mentor would say to me, I like we were. It was like my last semester of you know grad school, and Paul was like, "Donovan, get out of school while you still have talent." And I was just like, I thought that was like hilarious, and he's like teaching as an adjunct professor. It's like so hypocritical, right? It's like or ironic. I shouldn't say hypocritical. But, like, but I think, you know, a good teacher does do that. They, like, create yeah. the box. Because right. you need to know where you're coming from. Like, I think that is so crucial. Like, don't don't try and play Coltrane's music if you don't know Coltrane. Right. And don't even try and drum to a Coltrane record if you don't study Elvin Jones. Right. You know, like, you need to know these things. What's, what, what kind of symbol is Elvin using? You know, you need to know these different aspects before you, like, try and make a mark on things. But I think a good teacher opens the box for you and kind of, like, pushes you out and says, like, hey, like, go fly, you know? Spread your wings. Yeah, I know this is getting, like, (laughs) yeah, This is, like, not what I expected, but this is really good. I'm I'm enjoying this. We we asked the hard-hitting questions. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, one thing thing that I I, I wanted, I like to talk about, Sean and I both are products of music school. Like, we did all the years of jazz school, and most of our friends are in that area. 
but it's also interesting, like, it's becoming a conversation of, like, is music school necessary? What good does it provide? Like, all that kind of stuff. And it's it's interesting to ask everyone who we talk to about it. Yeah. Know? To give, like, a... To paint, like, a whole picture of really, like, what you're getting out of music school and how it defines a musician. Music school is, like, this... It's this weird issue where it costs so much money, and you're like, why am I doing this? Right. You know? And, mm-hmm. like, there has to be a more efficient way to do it that's less expi- expensive. But, like, we are kind of saying, like, everything I have musically has come from music school. Right. Us talking right now is, is because of right. music school, right? Every right. person I play with in New York City is either through, like, my church community or my school, you know? So I think, like, music school definitely, like, creates this opportunity for you to meet people, to, like, learn cool things. I think my only complaint with music school is how expensive it is. Right. And, like, where's the money even going? You know what I mean? Is it even going to the professors or, you know... And I don't know enough to, like, have a, an argument on that. Like, I like I like music school. I feel like I would never want to teach at a music... Like, that's ironic, because I teach at a music school right now. But that's for, like, little kids, right? right? Or And some adults. But those are, like, beginning musicians. But I don't know if I'd ever want to teach at a university. And we were talking about this the other day. If I went, like, into teaching down the road, I would rather do it, like, pretty one-on-one, like, mentorships. Mm-hmm. Or, like, you know... Or, because I think, like, that's where things get really cool is the collaboration between, like, really, like, high-up-there artists and people who want to get to that level, you know? Yeah. So, I like music schools. I think they're just, they're too expensive. And they need to open the box, kind of like we were talking about. Yeah. Hmm. So, I don't know if that metaphor is going to make, anyways. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So, what about the songwriting process? What, what does it look like when you sit down to... Or if you do sit down to write a song, like, how how does it go when, like, the conception of your new song? You know, that's a good question. I was thinking about it earlier today and yesterday. There is something I read about Beethoven once, and once again, I'm not going to compare myself to Beethoven. It's <laughs> <that's> like, <laughs> like not even a comparison to be drawn. But I was reading somewhere that he, like, would have musical ideas in his mind mm-hmm. like motifs for right. like you know and he would just have them like in his mind for years maybe you right. know mm-hmm. and then like then all of a sudden inspiration struck and it was like right and then we have like his fifth symphony or something mm-hmm. you know but like they were just kind of floating in there until like inspiration like put them into place on a very lower level very lower level that's kind of how i think i feel about writing songs where I'll have, and it's usually like kind of more chord progressions. Mm. I'll have some like ideas floating around my head, maybe a melody, usually like kind of like a chord progression or even just a feeling, you know, mm. just like a, an idea. I don't even know what you would describe it as. That's just kind of ruminating in my, in my mind and heart. It could be for months. And then there's two levels to writing a song after that. And I hope this makes sense. But I call it, soul phase like s-o-u-l mm-hmm. where and it usually happens at least historically in the middle of night where like i'm going to bed and i'm like crap like and i can't <laughs> say because it's like dang it there's something that has to like happen and what usually happens is i wake up and one of those things that's been like in my mind for a few months or whatever manifests itself like comes into my head and i usually write the song in like one or two takes Right. Pretty much everything. Wow. Yeah, like, it's just kind of like, boom, done. Inspiration hits. And I've been thinking about the music for a long time. I just don't know where it fits. And then, like, sometime in the middle of the night, it fits. And I put it together. 
I try not to wake up my family, you know, or annoy <laughs> the neighbors or anything. And I just like really quietly with headphones, I'll like, I'll write out the song and I usually write the lyrics like that night. But I call that like the soul of the song. It's kind of like the bare bones. Or it's like the skeleton. It's like yeah. a skeleton. Mm-hmm. And then phase two is like, I call dressing the song. Mm-hmm. So like you take the person, the skeleton, and then you put clothes on. So I take my song and I put clothes on and those clothes are like production, orchestration, mm-hmm. arrangement. So I guess, but that takes a long time for me at least. Right. So it's like the actual like skeleton, emotions, feeling, soul of the song. That's like a matter of 20 minutes. Right. But like the actual like getting it to a point where I'd ever want to release it or like perform it like for a lot of people, that's a lot more of a tedious process of like, okay, what sounds cool here what kind of colors do i want to use what kind of instruments are we going to use like what kind of like are we going to do a bridge an outro an intro those types of things like are fun to kind of collaborate with people on right you know i like using producers or like other musicians and we bounce ideas but it has to stay true to that initial inspiration of like the song i feel like with that process like the constant rumination in your head it's like you're pretty efficient when it comes to like keeping songs that you write too yeah like it's not it's because you you thought about them so much and it like it it it, it comes out so naturally it's it's like you don't write something that you don't like yeah and i remember seeing uh this interview with bill withers and apparently he recorded every song that he wrote he never threw away any songs that he ever wrote yeah and billy drews talks about that too um saying like you just write down everything no matter no matter what it is and you could judge it later yeah, what's like even funny? Like, I, there's definitely a few songs I didn't throw them out, but like that I haven't used. There's like songs that are just kind of like floating that like, because the inspiration I think comes sometimes it's like all there. Like I said, when I'm writing an individual song, it's like it just like happens after like months of ruminating. But then like sometimes I'll write a song and I'm like, okay, I don't know where this fits in anything. But it's cool because then like later on I have like an idea for an album and that song like fits perfectly in that idea. Like literally on the way here, walking down your street, I had the idea for like the next album that I haven't even released. (laughs) I have like three years of music that I haven't even released that I'm like sitting on. And I'm like, oh, crap. Like, I gotta release this before, like, you know? Dude, you should see wow. my finale folder. It's got, like, literally hundreds of songs. Oh, my gosh. Like, <laughs> yeah, you, you know exactly what that yeah, feels yeah. like. It's, like, almost a problem, though, because, like, I tell Raylan, my wife, all the time, because, like, sometimes by the time I release a song, I don't even know if I feel that way anymore. Yeah, you're kind right. of, like, tired of the idea. Yeah, or just, like, even, like, so, like, the first EP I released was called Pigeons, and it was kind of like, I mean, it's abstract, so I'm sure most people didn't like necessarily grasp this, but it was kind of heavy. And a yeah. little bit, it was meant to be a little bit dark, which was like really cathartic at the time as I wrote it. But then it's like funny because by the time I released it, I was like, oh, I'm better now. Like, yeah. <laughs> this like really fits me anymore. <laughs> so I'm trying to release the music as fast as possible. So I still feel like it's an r- accurate representation of who I am. I feel like I'm growing faster than I can release music. Mm. And that's why I'm excited to start performing, because then at least I'm performing it. Yeah. But One thing that I find interesting and kind of gives me hope and, like, excitement is, like, Wayne Shorter, for example, says that the composition never ends. Like, there's no beginning, there's no end. It mm. just kind of lives. And if you listen to his music, like, Indeed. if you listen... Yeah. If you listen to Orbits from, like, 67, and then listen to it from 2013, and then 2018, it's, like, completely different songs. Yeah. Um... 
So I think there's something to be said about like how like a song still lives, even though if it's not like released or even if it is released, like it's still it's still growing and breathing like we are. Well, yeah, that, I think the key is what you just said, like we are, because I think music is definitely mm. an extension of who we are, yeah. you know, and like it's kind of from the, sorry, going back to like Sufjan Stevens or even Radiohead. Actually, Radiohead's an amazing example of people who redefine themselves every album. You know, it's like mm-hmm. you're just like, what the heck? Like when I realized that Radiohead wrote Creep, because I like knew Radiohead post Kid A, right, and right. then I find out they wrote Creep because like yeah. that wasn't my generation. <laughs> I was like, what the heck is this? I was like, this isn't the same. Yeah, thing, yeah, it's completely right. different. But like, and this is gonna contradict that a little bit, but like, at the same time. I always know it's Radiohead, you know, because it's who they are. Even if they redefine themselves every album, there's a certain string attached to each of them where it's like, oh, yeah, that's Radiohead. It's the same way I feel about Sufjan. His music is so personal to him, like, so personal, like, especially some of the albums he's released, like, recently. And, but you know it's him. I don't know, even if it's, like, a completely different aesthetic, even if it's just, like, off the wall, like, where the heck did that come from? It's still like who he is, yeah. and I and like, so it is like I don't know if that like really connects with what you're saying, but it made me think of that like, like I plan to like grow as a musician, and like my songs I'm sure will look different and different as I get older, but they're always gonna be me, and those right. songs that I wrote like back in the day will still be a part of who I am and my my DNA. I'm kind of feeling the same way with this album because I'm releasing some songs from like 2017 and written about things completely differently than how I kind of imagine it now. But mm. it's kind of cool, because it's still fitting. Well, I guess with lyrics, like, you're specific. Yeah. But I feel like, like, two messages can mean... Or one message can mean two different things, depending on your perspective of the message. Honestly, I, like... I write all my lyrics. Some of them are very obvious, but I purposefully write my lyrics super abstract. Mm. I don't... Right. Because partly for that reason, because, like, there's something about abstract art that's timeless in a way i don't know if that makes sense like it could mean multiple things and it means different things to different people so like like i've written a few lines where people are like oh my gosh like i love that it made me realize this and i was like that's not at all what i was thinking (laughs) when i wrote that you know what i mean but like that's awesome and that's it came from an inspired place so if that's how it inspires you cool and honestly i get that from like not to get like biblical but there's this like prophet isaiah in the old testament who wrote, like, scriptures that everybody's like, what the heck is he talking about? It's, like, crazy abstract, right? But when, like, Jesus came, he was like, great, are the words of Isaiah. But, like, everybody's like, I don't understand this. But, like, I think there's a reason, like, in my religion that, like, God would be like, his words are great. It's because, like, they're timeless. Because he, like, kind of made them abstract, it, like, they could speak to all the ages if you have, like years to hear or whatever right. does that kind of make me sense yeah, yeah, yeah. i like packaging things abstractly because then like everybody gets to interpret it their own way and it never goes old right yeah kurt cobain was a big big guy on that like, really yeah i mean because all his lyrics are basically nonsense you know? yeah that's <laughs> and it, you, like you, one like like the sentences are like kind of nonsense and two you can't even understand the words <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It's always, like, a problem, though. I was just with one of my, my best friends from growing up was, like, visiting. And he, like, brought up this, like, lyric I wrote, like, in high school or something. And he thought it was, like... It was, like, this abstract lyric. And he interpreted it, like, way inappropriately. Like, mm. I was uh. like, oh, wait, that is not what I meant to. Like, so I, there's almost, like, a downside. Because I was like, I was thinking in this way, but you took it the wrong uh. way, you know? 
So, like, I think there is some danger into, like, being too abstract, because then people just straight up don't know what you're talking about. But, but I don't know. I think there's something beautiful. People can yeah. feel the emotion. And sometimes even if right. you don't know the lyric, it's like, I can feel kind of what that means. Which I guess is kind of poetry, I guess, you know? Yeah. Oh, have you done any, like, songwriting exercises? Is that something that you do, or is it just all organic process? So, like, actual songwriting is organic, but I do try and practice. So, like, I, and, like, I actually practice not songwriting. <laughs> like, I study scores, like, mm. particularly, like, Debussy, or even, like, Stravinsky, or things that, like, are yeah. almost never going to, like, show up obviously in my music, you know, like, or, like, Schoenberg or something. But, like, the process of studying those things helps me, like, unlock certain parts of my creative brain, you know, that, like, hopefully will bleed into my music at some point. I don't think they really have yet. I don't think anybody's going to listen to my music and be like, oh, yeah, Bartok. Yeah, I can can see the thrill. That would be really hope. That would be awesome. Maybe (laughs) one day. But I do like to study those things because I think it does. Or, like, Ornette Coleman, for example. Like, Mm. some of those things, like, help me think differently than I would have normally. Right. And that helps me stay fresh in, like, how I approach music. Yeah. So, I don't know if... I'm not, like, that kind of person that, like, is, like, I'm going to write a song a day, you know? Right. Or, like, or yeah. like I'm going to do this, like, no matter what, start to finish. It's very much just, like, when it happens, it happens. And in the meantime, I'm thinking about music. I'm experiencing things. I read a lot of books. Like, mm. almost... Like, actually, I'm writing a blog post about it. I don't want to explain too much of my lyrics, but my wife wants me to write a blog post of all of, like, the literary references that, like, all my oh, lyrics nice. connect to. Because, like, I would say a lot of my lyrics and just, like, a lot of the things that are inspired by my, like, with my music come from from books that I read. So I read a lot. I listen to a ton of music. And I study composers yeah. and stuff like that. That's cool. kind of where I go from. What have you been reading? I'm reading As I Lay Dying by William Faulkner right now. And then I'm reading Leaves of Grass by Walt Whitman. Nice. And I'm reading, I'm listening to Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. I have a night book that puts me to sleep, uh-huh. which is yeah. Walt Whitman. Sorry, dude. <laughs> and then, like, I have my, like, uh, I have my, like, audio book for, like, The Train, which is C.S. Lewis right now. And then, like, reading with my hands. Not my hands. But, you know, like, having an actual book in my hands, I'm reading As I Lay Dying by William Faulkner. I can do it more, too, because I take care of my baby during the day. And so when she's taking a nap, I'm just, like, I just, like, read or something. Right. How's uh, fatherhood changed the way you approach music, think about music? You know, this is funny because this is... I'm going to try and say this quick because this... I actually... I I don't know why, but I was like, I bet you, like... I I don't know. I thought about this answer before (laughs) I even came here. Um, When I'm not reading... One of my biggest inspirations is uh, Chef's Table. Have you mm. guys ever watched that? Like, the cooking show? Oh, no. Have we talked I, about this? Before? I haven't watched that specifically. Yeah. It's but. like, dude, they're so beautiful. But it's just about these, like, amazing chefs that, like, open these, like, crazy cool restaurants. And there's stories of how they became these types of chefs. And, and like, they, they sacrifice a lot. And yeah. they, like, they're, they're groundbreaking. It's risky. They lose a lot of money. It's just an intense process. But... This one guy said something. He he was a, he was a dad, you know, had like a young family, and he was like, he said something along the lines of like, he's like, some people think that art comes from, like, art for art's sake, 
like some of the great things, you know, come that way. But he's like, great art comes from having your back against the wall. So for him, for example, he was like opening up restaurants, but then when his family was struggling and he was trying to like provide for his family, that's when he was like, okay, like, let's do this. We have to make this happen. And I'm not in like a desperate situation, but like having my daughter and just being like, you know, married, having a daughter and different things, it kind of switched from being like, oh, you know, I can do whatever I want. And it doesn't matter because I'm the only person I have to feed right now. It's like, oh, dang, this music thing better work. (laughs) You know what I mean? Because it's like not about me anymore. So balancing success has become necessary, I guess is what you could say. I really do want to have success and do well, but I want to do it while being true to who I am, if that makes sense. Like selling out is like, I'd rather just teach music. (laughs) I'm not going to like write music for other people just for the sake of that to make money. Like, if we're going to do this composition stuff, if we're going to write music, if we're going to write songs, it has to be because, like, it's coming from who I am. But, like, if we are doing that, it kind of needs to stick at some point, you know, because, yeah. like, I've got a baby at yeah. home, <laughs> you know what I mean? So, so I don't know, it kind of adds a little bit of uh, pressure, but in a good way, because I think it can push you to work harder and you take bigger risks because you have to. Yeah, right. Know? I think, I feel like being comfortable, like, usually doesn't, provide any kind of like musical thing like it's sometimes i feel like sometimes it does like you need your rest but i think from those like high intensity situations like having a baby it's like this is there's something more on the table now there's like more right. at stake i mean for people who do want to become parents or have the opportunity it's like the hardest thing you ever do <laughs> it's so hard but it, it it brings out a different element of who you are which i yeah. think other things maybe can too but like parenthood for me at least in my life has brought out this person to me I didn't know existed. Right. And that has actually made me a better musician. Mm. Like, there were parts mm. of me, like, different characteristics of who I was that, like, have, like, become manifest as of becoming a, a dad. And, and that's really influenced my music. Also, one more thing. I care about what I'm putting out because my daughter will one day listen to it. Right. Like, it kind of, like, changes, like... It's like, oh, what do I want to be remembered by? You know, yeah, for my right. kids, yeah. you know, yeah. it's kind of like, not that any of my music's like inappropriate or anything, but like, it's kind of like, you're thinking about your legacy all of a sudden. It's like, yeah. oh, I want my children, like, whether they like my music or not, you know, that would suck if they don't. But like, I at least want them to be able to be like, oh yeah, my dad wrote that. Right. You right, know what I right. mean? Or something like that. So you mentioned a blog. Where can we, where can we read those blog posts as they come out? www donovantaylormusic.com Cool. I'm just kidding, sorry. Don, donovantaylormusic.com <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, ha- I have a, a website with, it shows all my music that's coming out, but I do have, I write blog posts. I don't know who reads them, but... I actually saw it the other day, so I actually didn't read them, but I, like, s- saved it on my, like, need-to-read list. Oh, that makes me happy, yeah. I keep them pretty short. Some of them are just about, like, music I'm releasing, but some yeah. of them are actually just about, like thoughts I have or like I said like maybe a lot of the literary illusions I'll explain those but it's kind of a nice way for me not to post on social media yeah you know it's kind of like it's like constructive social media exactly because nobody has to read it unless they're looking for it you know and then like I can actually explain my point thoroughly or yeah you know like doing a minute long tiktok where you have to like exactly yeah and plus I I just kind of miss stuff like that you know writing a blog or a journal and so feel free to check it out, anyone. Yeah. All the links that we mentioned are going to be in the description of wherever you're viewing this. But any other plugs you have to give us? 
Um, got your, your EP Pigeons. So yeah, I have an EP Pigeons that's out. I released uh, singles that are called Happy But Not Really. And then the next thing to keep your eye out for is a new EP called Falling and Being Found. Hmm. And these two guys are going to play some instruments on it. And it'll be Ooh. produced by my friend Robert Willis. So these guys are good guys, though. We're going to be working together a lot. Looking forward to it. And if you want us to play in your stuff, go to TearNotRecordings.com. The link will be in the description. Cool. Yeah, oh, but I think okay. we'll end it there. Thank you so much, Donovan, for coming on and sharing all your secrets. Are you kidding me? I'm happy to. <laughs> it was a privilege. Thank you, guys. Of course. Yeah, and uh, anyone who's stuck around this long, thank you so much for watching, and we'll see you in the next podcast.